This is Max Hedrum, and what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister-sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced in the history of television, the Max Hedrum story. Series of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's one other host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Hey, guys. Now, real quick, I just wanted to say that. As of last week, Hans is no longer on the show, and we just wanted to wish him the best of luck in future endeavors. And I know it sucks, but me and Danielson are going to keep going strong and continue to dive deep into these crazy topics each week. Exactly. All right. Uh, so another thing real quick before we start today's episode, I just wanted to say, like always, if you want to support the show, then there's a few ways that you can do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 80 extra Patreon episodes, which is over 100 extra hours of listening pleasure. To see the list of Patreon episodes, go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the Patreon Episodes tab. There, you will see an entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over World. So you get access to that episode as well as all the others for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one if you don't want to. That's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the Max Headroom incident. Now how this episode will go today is that we'll first dive into who Max Headroom is and how he came to be, and then we'll discuss the hijackings that occurred in 1987, and then we'll make our way into some strange facts and findings, theories, and of course wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. On the night of November 22nd, 1987, one of the strangest things in television history occurred. Two Chicago television stations were automatically taken over by a mysterious masked man who was doing odd things on the camera. The television stations were able to gain access back to their broadcast and the authorities immediately started searching for the individuals responsible for the broadcast interruption. Was this just a couple of amateur hackers playing around, or was it something more sinister? 
This is the Max Headroom Incident. Now, before we dive into the live TV hijacking, we first have to understand who Max Headroom was, who created him, and what he stood for. And if you've never heard of this incident, this is going to be a little confusing. But the reason we're talking about Max Headroom is that the individual who hacked into the TV stations was wearing a Max Headroom mask. So many people refer to this broadcast interruption as the Max Headroom incident. So this Max Headroom is like a, an AI character that was on TV in the early 80s. So Dan, do you want to start it off for us and tell us how he was created? All right. So if this is your first time hearing about Max Headroom, let us enlighten you to who or what he is. So to understand this topic, we have to go back to the early 1980s. At this time, music videos were starting to become a big thing. MTV had just recently launched their own channel on American Cable, and on this channel, they not only played popular songs, but they also had videos that played alongside the song as well. This MTV channel was a huge success, and everyone was talking about it. Now, this success caught the attention of a lot of media companies overseas, specifically Channel 4s. So Channel 4 was a British public television network. This network wanted to do something similar to what MTV was doing in the United States. So they contacted an individual named Peter Wagg. Peter was the producer at Chrysalis Records, which was a popular British record label. Channel 4 told Peter, Hey there, mate, we would like for you to create something for us, something similar to what MTV is over there in the United States. Peter agreed to take on the project and came up with the perfect idea. So at the time, MTV was just playing music videos one after another, not having a break in between. Peter thought it would be a good idea to add some kind of graphical sequence in between the music videos. So he took this idea and gave it to an individual named George Stone, who was a writer at an ad agency. George assembled a team of two additional writers, animation specialist and music video director Rocky Morton, to help. Just a little knowledge nugget real quick. But Rocky Morton co-directed the amazing Super Mario Brothers movie back in 1993. Well, they considered it a failure, but it was cool back then. Is that the one where they have those dinosaurs with little heads? Yes. Okay. Oh, that was a great movie. I, I really enjoyed that. I actually thought it was pretty good for the time. Yeah. All right. So this amazing trio of creators that George put together came up with the idea of a weird computer-generated presentator that would be a middle-aged male wearing a suit. Now, this idea sort of took off, and they decided to make it an hour-long show called the Max Headroom Show. Now, this name, Max Headroom, was to represent filling the viewer's head full of sound and vision. The show itself had a cyberpunk post-apocalyptic universe-type theme that this Max Headroom character lived in. Now, the thing about Max is that he wasn't human. He was what you would call an AI, which stands for artificial intelligence, and he was the host of this show. So they created a show for Max but they really didn't have a backstory for him. And they figured, hey, instead of us just normally telling it over the television show, that they would just make a movie about him. And just a warning, 
we're going to get into the movie and start talking about it. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it. I mean, it was released in 1985, so if you haven't seen it by now, right. you're kind of running late. All right. So the movie that was created for Max was called The Story of Max Headroom Live on Network 23 and debuted in theaters, like Aaron said, in 1985. This movie takes place in the same place as his TV show, a dystopian cyberpunk era where television and big corporations were in charge. It told the story about how Max Headroom came to be and how he was originally a person named Edison Carter. Now, Edison was an American investigative journalist for a media network. Edison, in the movie, was deemed a leftist and kept getting on his supervisor's bad side with his work. Edison was all about truth and justice and reported about it frequently, which kind of brought discomfort to the city. Now, you figured that his job would just fire him since he was causing the city discomfort. However, they didn't because Edison, even though he had all this controversy around him, he was the media network's biggest star. So further into the movie, Edison started looking into the network media's latest innovation called Blipvert, which was a microburst commercial. Now, this Blipvert packed minutes of marketing pitches into just a few seconds on the screen. The network could now get more sponsors and be able to show them in far less time. This, in turn, offered the network unbeatable returns on investments for their advertisers. Now, this initially looked harmless to Edison. However, he quickly found out that these blipverts had a negative effect on some people. What were these negative effects? Well, they caused some of the viewers' heads to explode. Oh, Jesus Christ. Right? Edison ended up breaking the story to the public to let them know, but was unsuccessful in doing it while inside the network's own building and had to quickly escape. So Edison got on his motorcycle and quickly drove toward the exit of the network's garage. However, the network ended up lowering the barrier on him, which caused him to crash. Now, the network didn't want to kill him since he was still their biggest star. All they wanted to do was stop him. So the network's technology team decided to try and attempt to extract his consciousness and upload it into their mainframe. Edison ended up surviving his injuries and still held on to his ideals of pursuing justice. However, the network didn't care. They had a copy of his consciousness and it became his digital doppelganger, which decided to call himself Max Headroom. Now, since Max Headroom is digital, he is essentially able to jump from one program to another under the Media Network 23. However, that didn't last long because he quickly learned how to jump to any broadcast network anywhere in the world and disrupt whatever commercial was playing, just mocking and trolling during his interruption. Max would even drop his own little knowledge nuggets during these interruptions that the higher-ups at Network 23, you know, tried to keep him hidden. And there was like this elusive government shadow holding him down. So he pretty much became like a digital whistleblower in the movie. That was pretty much the movie of Max Headroom. So the television series for Max continued and he became popular enough that they decided to use Max to be the spokesperson for Coca-Cola, telling the viewers to taste the wave to the new Coca-Cola. So in early 1988, in the middle of its second season, the television series of Max Headroom got canceled. 
which in turn ended the sponsorship with Coca-Cola. But if Max Headroom at the time was so popular, why did his TV series get canceled? Well, that's what we're about to get into, which is the reason why it was canceled. Okay, so now that we know how Max Headroom was created and what he or it, whatever you want to call him, was about, let's discuss the main event that the entire topic is about the TV hijacking that caught the attention of everyone in the late 1980s. So, Aaron, can you start that off for us? Absolutely. All right, so this all began on the night of November 22nd, 1987. It was just after 9 p.m., and WGN-TV was doing their nightly news broadcast. Sports anchor Dan Rowan was in the middle of going over the Chicago Bears highlight reel from earlier that day, and all of a sudden, without any warning, the television screen turned completely black and silent. The silence lasted for about 15 seconds, and then the screen slowly came back on. However, it wasn't sports anchor Dan Rowan. It was a person wearing a rubber mask and sunglasses. The rubber mask looked just like the AI Max Headroom, and even the background where the person was sitting looked exactly the same as it was on the Max Headroom show. As the background oscillated, the person on the screen wearing the Max Headroom mask was just rocking from side to side. Now, during this time, the only sound that was coming from this show was sort of like a buzzing noise. Now, this occurred for not even 30 seconds, and then the screen went black, and then the original scheduled television programming came back on. Sports anchor Dan Rowan was initially confused and then said, If you're wondering what happened, (laughs) so am I. Actually, the computer that we have running our news from time to time took off and just went wild. Uh, yeah, Dan, that's not what happened. And I'm talking to the sports anchor, Dan, not you, Dan. I know what happened. So we do have the original video of that happening, which we're going to watch. And uh, if you want to, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. Click on our References tab and scroll all the way to the bottom until you get to Max Headroom, and it'll be the first video that's posted underneath that, and you can watch it too. It's, it's fairly short. We'll have a link of it. I mean, if you're watching the, watching the news and that comes on, you're just like staring at the screen like, what the hell is this? Yeah, you're waiting to hear the news of the Bears and how well they did in the football game, and all of a sudden that comes on. You'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> so, yeah. That was odd, and of course, WGN-TV network stations started receiving many phone calls wondering what happened to the broadcast. However, they could only tell people that they were looking into what happened. As the engineers for WGN-TV network were looking into what caused this interruption, the masked man struck again. That same night, at 11.15 p.m. Central Standard Time, the WTTW network was broadcasting the television show Doctor Who when it was suddenly interrupted. Now, WTTW wasn't as fast as WGN with taking down the broadcast because they didn't have any engineers on duty at the time. So needless to say, this interruption was quite a bit longer than the previous one. So as the interruption occurred, static began showing on the screen and then the same masked man appeared. This time, there was audio but it wasn't that great. It had a loud buzzing with it, but you could still kind of comprehend what was being said. The individual was wearing the same rubber Max Headroom mask and looked like he was sitting down in a chair, audibly laughing. 
The individual then says, and I quote, that does it. He's a freaking nerd. He's better than Chuck Swirsky. Yeah, I think I'm better than Chuck Swirsky. Freaking liberal. He then begins to laugh, bends over to the side, picking something up, all while saying, oh, Jesus, here we go. Yeah. He then holds up a can of Pepsi and says, catch the wave. And he throws the Pepsi can on the ground and then says, your love is fading. Shortly after that, he starts humming what is believed to be the theme to clutch cargo. While humming, he points to the camera and says, I still see the X, and then continues humming. He then stops humming, makes a whining noise, and says, my files. Like he goes, uh, my files. <laughs> he then shakes his head really quickly and then says, oh, I just made a giant masterpiece for the greatest world's newspaper nerds. He then bends back over again and picks up a very old vintage baseball glove and places it on his hand. He then says, my brother is wearing the other one. It's dirty. I'm going to put my fine off. And then he takes off the glove and tosses it away from him. Shortly after that, the shot switches to the masked man with his pants pulled down, his bare butt showing, and he says, they're coming to get me. In the right-hand corner of the screen uh, is what looks like someone dressed as a maid and has like a fly swatter in their hands. That person then says, bend over, bitch, in which the Max Headroom individual does. The maid then starts spanking this individual on the buttocks with the fly swatter while the Max Headroom individual says, don't do it, no. Shortly after that, the screen goes completely black and it goes back to the regular programming of Doctor Who. Now, just like the last one, we do have the original video of that. We will have a link to it on our website under the reference tab in case you just want to follow along. Also, just a heads up, the audio quality had quite a bit of buzzing in it, but it isn't that long. So adjust your volume accordingly. So we're going to play that right now. Gotham was the old ones of your tribe, but it's the only way to learn. I'll get you a hot drink, man.
All right, Dan. So what'd you think of that? <laughs> that was definitely interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. All right. So after that occurred, many individuals were confused. However, the majority of people found it to be interesting and funny. The FCC did not find it amusing at all. And if you don't know what the FCC is, well, it's the Federal Communications Commission, and it's an independent agency of the United States federal government that regulates communications by radio, television, wire, satellite, and cable. So anything that happens on the airwaves that isn't approved by them, they end up getting pissed off. Oh, yeah. So the FCC wanted to catch this masked Max Headroom guy and started offering a reward for any information regarding this incident. They released a statement that said, and I quote, I would like to inform anybody involved in this kind of thing that there is a maximum penalty for $100,000, one year in jail, or both. Shortly after that statement, a spokesperson for WTTW, which was the network that had the Doctor Who airing and had the longer interruption occur, well, they decided to make an announcement as well. They said, and I quote, All in all, there are some who may view this as comical, but it is a very serious matter because illegal interference of a broadcast signal is a violation of federal law. So the FCC started a deep and long investigation. They came to the conclusion that interrupting the broadcast was actually a lot easier than they originally thought. All a person had to do was place an antenna in between the transmitter antenna and the network's antenna, then they could hijack the broadcast. All it took was the right timing and position to do this correctly. Now, once the FCC figured this out, they were able to get a general location of where this could have been done at, but they were actually unable to pinpoint an exact location. So they started searching the buildings that were located in this giant area. The FCC ended up finding some warehouses in that general location with the same type of roll-up door that was used in the background of the transmission. However, they still couldn't figure out the most important thing, which was who exactly was under that mask. Years passed, and no one ever came forward claiming responsibility for the stunt. Despite a long and extensive law enforcement investigation into the incident, the identities and the motives of the individual still remain a mystery to this day. And that is the story of the Max Headroom incident. Just like every week, we aren't going to stop there because now we're going to roll into strange facts and findings, which we have some good ones coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, but before we do, I just want to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. Okay. So, Dan, do you want to start it off and tell us about this first strange fact and finding? So the first strange fact and finding that we are going to go over is broadcast interruptions in general. Now, over the years, there have been multiple broadcast interruptions, before and after this Max Headroom one, and we figured that we could talk about a few of those. So the first one that we're going to talk about is called Captain Midnight. Have you ever heard of this one, Dan? Honestly, no. Neither have I. I've never heard about it until we started researching. So this one actually occurred back in 1986, and it was before the Max Headroom incident. So during that year, an electrical engineer named John McDougall noticed that HBO had increased its cable subscription prices to $12.95 a month. This pissed off John, and he decided to do something about it. 
So on April 27, 1986, at 12.32 a.m., during a presentation of The Falcon and the Snowman, HBO had its satellite signal feed from its operations center in Long Island, New York, interrupted. What appeared on HBO's channel was an image with a multicolored background with the words that said, Good evening, HBO. From Captain Midnight. $12.95 per month? Question mark? No way. Showtime, movie channel, beware. And we have an image of that, and it'll be in our reference notes on our website for you to go take a look at if you want to. The broadcast intrusion lasted between four to five minutes and appeared on the television screens of HBO subscribers all throughout the eastern half of the United States. Shortly after that broadcast interruption, the FCC started investigating it. Eventually, authorities were tipped off by a man from Wisconsin in a phone booth at a rest area of off Interstate 75 in Gainesville, Florida. The man called the police and filed a report saying that he had overheard John McDougal bragging about it. So the FCC heard about it and they started focusing their investigation efforts on John and realized, hey, this might be your guy because he was alone at the Central Florida teleport at the time of the incident. And a recording of the jamming video showed that the image was created by a character generator at that location that John was at. So John was arrested and charged with transmitting without a radio license in violation of Title 47 of the United States Code. He pled guilty and was fined $5,000 and served a year of probation. John stated that the reason he did it, that he was frustrated with HBO's service rates and that it was hurting his business selling satellite dishes. To this day, John still owns his business and even has a page on his website dedicated to the incident. He stuck it to the man. I like that. Right? Um, now, I don't condone breaking the law, okay? I just want to make that clear. But I, I did like what John did there. He said, you know what? No more increasing the prices of HBO subscription. No more. Imagine if people did that to Netflix. I mean... Their prices going up too. Yeah, all the time. It's crazy. All right. Um, so just a little knowledge nugget before we go forward. Since that Max Headroom incident and the Captain Midnight interruption, since they were kind of like around the same time frame, broadcast interruptions in general became like the talk of the town. And all the politicians started talking about it. So the government put in place a new federal law which made satellite hacking a felony. Now, this plays a role in our next broadcast interruption that we're going to talk about. But just kind of keep that in the back of your mind as a little knowledge nugget. All right. So our next broadcast interruption that we're going to talk about occurred on September 6, 1987. Late at night, while individuals all around the United States were enjoying the Playboy channel, the broadcast was randomly interrupted. What appeared on television screen was a religious message that said, Oh, you better do this in a holy voice, Aaron. Thus saith the Lord thy God, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, if you're watching that channel, something's in hand. <laughs> Damn, dude. Got him. Of course, after this happened, the FCC started investigating. The FCC ended up convicting an individual named Thomas Haney of the incidents and arrested him, but Thomas claimed that he was innocent. Now, something worth noting here is that Thomas worked for the Christian Broadcasting Network. Now, because of this, the Christian Broadcasting Network was involved in the criminal case. 
you know, because they had to protect their boy in court. So the Christian Network came out and started making claims that the FCC's case against Thomas was entirely circumstantial, since there were no witnesses and the signal could not be traced to a point of origin. During the investigation, experts on both sides attempted to recreate the incident with the Christian Broadcasting Network's equipment, and they were unsuccessful. The equipment did not have enough power for Thomas to jam Playboy's signal, but during the trial itself, the government witnesses said that the Christian Network station was capable of interfering with satellite transmissions. Because of this, the jury at the trial was initially in a deadlock. Eventually, they ended up siding with the prosecution, which was the network, and convicted Thomas on two of the six counts. He ended up receiving three years of probation, a $1,000 fine, and 150 hours of community service. Wow. Imagine that. You're a Christian broadcasting network, and you send one of your employees to hijack the Playboy channel. A lot of angry men out there, let me tell you. Yeah, so I started looking into other broadcast interruptions, and there was quite a few uh, that, that we didn't talk about in here. But, for example, I want to say like in the early 2000s, the Disney channel was interrupted for a little bit, and porn was played. Oh, shit. All right, so let's go on to our next strange fact and finding. Tell us about this one, Dan. So our next strange fact and finding revolves around an old internet forum called the Tomes News Service. So two days after the hack on November 24th, 1987, some users on this forum were discussing the Max Headroom incident with awe and curiosity of how it was pulled off. At 6.18 in the morning, an individual with the user named The Chameleon commented on the Max Headroom discussion. The user said, and I quote, This morning on ABC's World News, there was a story about all the broadcast overrides. We've gotten WGN, WWOR, and the superstation out of Kansas, KTAT, I believe. The news said the FCC is looking into how someone could intercept broadcasts. I've personally studied this for a long time, and believe me, it's not hard, especially overriding superstations. They showed a videotape of what was transmitted. It was a homemade Max Headroom. It was pretty neat. We'll strike again. I can guarantee it. So that post is initially kind of confusing because he kind of puts some wording in there to make it sound like he's a part of a group. Yeah. And they're doing this, but then again, he makes it sound like he's outside of the group. It, it's very odd. So shortly after that post, a user by the name of Milo commented and responded to that post and said, who's we, lizard face? <laughs> Called him lizard face. <laughs> so then another user said, how did these dudes in Chi-Town, aka Chicago, do it? I saw the transmission. Was it an inside job, do you think? The user chameleon then commented to that question about it being an inside job and said, and I quote, hardly an inside job. They just aim their transmitter at the same transponder that WGN uses and used a higher power. It doesn't even have to be significantly higher, just more, and the WGN signal will cancel out. As I said before, it's one of those things that doesn't work out on paper, but it works. Welcome to Earth, where everything you know is wrong. So yeah, I thought that was weird that that person mentioned that two days afterwards. 
will strike again. I guarantee, I can guarantee it. It's like it definitely makes it sound like they were part of it. Mm-hmm. Or that they were just um bragging about it. Yeah. And trying to get fame to say that they were the ones doing it. You can't trust people on the internet. No, you can't. All right, so our next strange fact and finding revolves around the actual video that was shown during the hijacking. Now, some individuals think that the video that was shown of the guy with the Max Headroom mask on was actually a live shot, that it was happening right then and it was live. However, over the years, many individuals have studied that footage and claimed that it was actually previously recorded on a VHS tape. And then it was broadcasted. What many people point out is that the visuals in the interruption have glitches, which were common with 1980s VHS tapes, which points to the fact that it was taped ahead of time on a home VHS cassette tape. And somebody just took that home VHS cassette tape broadcast and interrupted um, that network's broadcast. So it wasn't live. As I read through some of the stuff, they said that it, even though it was two different interruptions, that it was actually part of like the same VHS tape, just different parts of it. Which, I mean, okay, could, could make sense. Yeah. All right. Um, so now we're going to get into some real juicy stuff, some theories. And we dove pretty deep on this to try to figure out who the hell was behind this incident. Because it's still an unsolved mystery. And we wanted to be the ones who solved it. which. You'll have to wait and find out because we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one. I got to pee. Literally, we'll take 30 seconds. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. All right, Dan. So tell us this first theory we have. All right. So our first theory revolves about who was the culprit behind this Max Headroom incident. Now, over the years, a few names have continued to reappear in forums and Reddit threads. Among one of the most common names listed is an individual named Eric Fournier. So, Eric was a film director and music artist who was mainly known as the creator of a TV show character named Shane St. John. Now, this Shay St. John is a fictional model who was disfigured in a car accident and recreated with mannequin parts, and she appears in a lot of Eric's films. Now, the first short film that she appeared in was called Strange Dolly in 1999. Now, this theory all connects, so just stay with us. Um, we ended up finding a short clip of that film, and we'll have a link for it in the references. But just a fair warning, it is super, super weird. Uh, probably one of the weirdest things I have ever watched in my entire life. So just a forewarning before you go and watch it. So we're going to watch that right now. Dark. So sad. Nothing retarded. Nothing retarded. Something strange is happening to Shay and her doll, Kiki. And they're just jealous of me. Cares your face is burnt. I love your burnt face. I don't care. Kiki won't be satisfied until they all die. Kiki, did you just say something? For Kiki. Officer, I think my little doll that I bought. Kiki. 
I feel like <laughs> that was some type of like mind programming. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Short clip. Some uh, like I may go and catch something on fire tonight or something. Kiki might kill. Kiki wants to kill. Something like <laughs> Kiki's all burned. That was very disturbing, to be honest. Have you ever seen anything weirder than that in your life? No, actually, I haven't. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. This shit is so weird. Ugh. I mean, other than, uh, what's her name from Pizzagate? That, uh... Oh, yeah, uh, forget her name. Abramovich? Yeah, her shit. Well, even then, like, this guy... I'm guessing this isn't the only video, like, he has more. No, there's multiple. Multiple that are just, like, just as weird. Man. But this was his first one. All right. Anyways, so why did we mention this made-up character in Eric? Well, a lot of people point to that Shay character and state that there are a lot of artistic similarities between his bizarre, campy videos, notably the use of masks and unconvincing prosthetics. Also, people point to the fact that he lived close to Chicago in Bloomington, Indiana. But with those facts, the question still remains. Why would Eric want to do this? Well, many people speculate that it was originally for publicity. So Eric was a music artist in a punk band called The Blood Farmers, and he wanted exposure for his band's music videos. Eric thought it would be a good idea to hijack the broadcast signal and put on his band's music videos for the entire world to see. However, at the last minute, he decided to ditch the idea of broadcasting one of their videos out of fear that they would be identified and reverted instead to his own spontaneous performance. Now, you can't ask Eric about all this because in 2010 he passed away, so there's no real way of actually finding out. Yeah, and there were people who asked his bandmates hey, do you think that Eric did this? And many of them were like, no, he didn't. But then you have people who claim that Eric told them that he did it. Not his bandmates, but other people in general. Which, do they have any proof? No. So, eh, it's kind of just a theory. I definitely don't think it was him. I, don't, I really don't see the similarities. Okay, yeah, he wore a mannequin mask, but that looked nothing like the rubber mask of Max Headroom. Yeah. You're right. So let's go on to our next theory, which revolves around it being an inside job. So this theory is that a disgruntled employee who had a problem with the network decided to have a little fun with him. This employee decided to single out Chuck Swirsky, who was a WGN sports broadcaster. He called him a nerd and stated, yeah, I think I'm better than Chuck Swirsky. That only can make one think that it could have been someone beat out of the position maybe as a sports broadcaster and that they were a previous employee or a potential employee of the network and it was an inside job. Possibly. Which our next theory kind of goes with it being an inside job. Ooh. Like there's more facts and stuff that kind of points at it being an inside job. But let's go into that one. All right. So the next theory comes from a user on Reddit who made a post around 11 years ago with the subject line that said, I believe I know who was behind the Max Henroom incident that occurred on Chicago TV in 1987. This user was a computer programmer from Chicago named Bowie J. Pog. He stated on the Reddit post that he was around the local hacking 
culture in the late 1980s and hung out with a lot of the local hackers in that area. Now, even though he was only 13 at the time, Bowie was able to get to know some of the older hackers and begin attending small gatherings where online friends would meet and socialize in real life. At one party in 1987, Bowie remembers meeting a small, peculiar man that he guesses was around the age of 30. He called him Jay, and this Jay fellow was socially uncomfortable and may have been autistic. Bowie stated that Jay was being looked after by his older brother, Kay, who lived with his girlfriend in an apartment 10 miles away from downtown Chicago. Bowie remembers going to their apartment one evening and seeing their home having a very little standing room due to the amount of computers and cables that they had running everywhere. Both of the brothers were very good hackers. Later that week, on November 22, 1987, around midday, Bowie was at a small gathering at Jay's apartment. Three or four people were standing around Jay, and they were all smiling about something that Jay was referring to. And then Bowie heard the word big. The group then left and decided to go to a nearby Pizza Hut. While there, Bowie asked a few of them what they meant by big. That is when Kay leaned forward and told Bowie to watch Channel 11 later tonight. Later that night is when the Max Headroom incident occurred. However, Bowie stated that the connection didn't occur to him at the time since that remark that was said to him to watch Channel 11 later that night was one of the dozens of things that he had heard that day from them. Bowie then goes on to say in the Reddit thread that he honestly didn't put two and two together at the time, that it didn't even click in his head, that it might be Jay until I was an adult. And the more I thought about it, the more everything clicked. My question is, how the hell can you remember going to a Pizza Hut at the age of 13 and what was said? Uh, I don't really remember like specifics. I just remember specific things that occurred, like high event things. For an example, me throwing a rock up in the air and letting it fall down to the ground, and I just kept doing that. And my parents were like, don't do that. And I ended up throwing one up, and it <laughs> came down and hit the car windshield and put a giant crack in the windshield. Ooh. We ended up actually going to Pizza Hut that afternoon, and I had been saving up money for a trampoline for like, I don't know, two years. And my dad was pissed. And he was like, I'm taking your trampoline money to fix the uh, windshield. Hurt my feelings, man. Sounds about right. All right, so continuing on, that Reddit post that Bowie made 11 years ago, it ended up catching a bunch of attention, and Bowie started to do multiple interviews. Now, after that, things ended up getting quiet for a little while. Until five years later, Bowie returned to Reddit and made another post updating everyone on the situation. Because a lot of people were like, you should turn in J and K to the authorities. Of course, J and K wasn't the real names. That was just their name that uh, Bowie was using to kind of like cover up their identity. But he said he still knew their full names. So a lot of people was like, go turn him in. And he's like, I don't know. I think I'm just going to do my own investigation. He ended up uh, updating everybody in this post. So tell us about it, Dan. In this post, Bowie said that Jay and Kay have been excluded as suspects in the Max Headroom incident, that his original theory was incorrect. 
Bowie also states that he got in contact with Rick Klein, who is the curator of the Museum of Classic Chicago Television. Together, the two of them examined the video audio end of things in more detail and interviewed folks connected with the local radio television broadcast industry in Chicago at that time. They also had a meeting with several engineers and technicians who were actively working for WBBM, WTTW, WGN, and other companies in the Chicago broadcasting community at that time. These individuals gave very detailed information, including specifics of what kind of locations, gear, physical access, and more importantly, what sort of station-specific knowledge would have been necessary in order to pull off the broadcast intrusions themselves. Bowie and Rick came to the conclusion that the possibility of this having been an outside job is basically zero. That all the things which needed to have been possessed by an outside amateur or amateurs, no matter how talented, simply did not exist in the wild in 1987. This, and other information as well, is what allowed us to free J and K as suspects with full confidence. Bowie also stated that Rick was still working on his theory that whoever did the Max incident had ties to the local Chicago broadcast community. So yeah, that is where it kind of tied back into our previous theory that it was an inside job, which that's what I would lean towards. Yeah, because I did hear or read a theory that they believe that it was an inside job and that it was someone like on a floor above them that actually hacked the broadcast and was broadcasting that, which I don't know why. Yeah. Someone on a floor above, but. Well, I don't know if networks have like um, beef with one another, you know, they have like network wars or something. Oh, you're with WGGW? Well, I'm with WTTF. You haven't seen Anchorman? No, I've never watched that. Really? I've seen like clips of it here and there but i've never watched the movie they have network wars or they met in an alley and like they were brawling it out and shit (laughs) i'll have to watch it i I may watch that tonight at work pretty funny all right so let's move into our own personal thoughts and theories behind this all right dan so what is your theory what do you think happened so i think it was an inside job by the creators of max headroom Why I think this is that, like, the whole purpose of Max Headroom was to be, like, a five-second clip with, like, multiple little clips throughout, uh, I guess, their, uh, was it Maximum Headroom or whatever music station? Yeah. I think they went too far with it. They got made a movie, then, of course, they had a series, and I don't think it caught on as much as they thought it would. And I figured they decided to use this as a way to try to get more publicity to Max Headroom. Yeah, they couldn't really use Max himself because then it'd be boom. It was them that did it. So they decided to use a masked one to do this. And pretty much think about it. Max Headroom was a broadcaster. He said in the video, I'm better than Chuck Swirsky. He's a sports broadcaster. They're just like, hey, listen to me instead. Watch my show over listening to the news or listening to the Chicago sports broadcaster. Trying to get more publicity towards him. Which ended up backfiring because it canceled exactly the television show and it canceled uh, the sponsorship with Coca-Cola. So, yeah, they lost out big time if that truly was their goal was to get more publicity. Yeah. So they were their plan, like you said, it backfired on them. Worst case scenario, it backfired like that. 
Okay. I want to say on the last broadcast of Max Headroom, I think I forgot like the phrase or whatever he said. He, he took, they took jabs at people and they were just like, oh, we got the last laugh. It's like they knew that they were going out and they decided to take jabs at people. So it's like they were uh, being a little vindictive there. Okay. All right. Well, that's an interesting theory on it. You want to know what mine is? Yeah. What you got? I think it was the CIA. I think that the CIA was testing to see how vulnerable the broadcast transmissions are in the United States. So they kind of went covert on it, kind of went underground, okay? Didn't tell anybody what they were doing. And then they said, holy shit, we can really do this. And every now and then, they'll try to do like a broadcast intrusion. Pretty much like a to test like a... Like Google and them, they'll hire hackers to try to hack into their systems just to see what they have to fix and all that shit. Is that what you're trying to say? Exactly. So the majority of Americans or majority of the public watches television and they get their news from television still. I mean, if you had a foreign country that was your enemy, get access and override your broadcast signals and they broadcast their own stuff, man, that could be really bad. Bad propaganda. Yeah. So that's what I personally think. I could see that, actually. But overall, this entire thing is weird. It really is. And the fact that it just like after those incidents, like with the Max Headroom, it just died out. You're talking about the broadcasting incidences? Like how it just died out after nothing else with Max Headroom. Yeah, that's true. And at the time that this occurred, Max Headroom was, was pretty damn popular. And you're right. As soon as this occurred, it's just... Kind of like, boop, you don't ever see him that much. Yeah. The only time you hear about him is when people talk about this incident. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he was featured in the movie's Pixels uh, a couple years ago. Like, they have Max Headroom in it. Yeah, but nobody knew who the, who the hell he was. They all thought he was Johnny Bravo. Yeah, but uh, he did do an interview on uh, David Letterman's show. That was interesting to watch. Yeah, it didn't really have too much information. It just being weird. All right, well... Do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode? Any more personal thoughts or anything? If anybody knows anybody that was around when that occurred, we wouldn't mind hearing what they had to think about it. Yeah. If you're actually the person who did this Max Headroom intrusion, uh, this broadcast interruption, reach out to us at Aaron or Dan at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. You can come forward and you can tell your story. And hey, guess what? The statute of limitations is, uh, is done. So even if you do come out, you won't get prosecuted by anyone. Exactly. So there you go. You can come out and tell your story, and we'll give you a platform to do it. Boom. To our five five listeners. Me, Dan, and our two moms and our single dad. Boom. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So I guess that's the end of the episode. Um, we're going to move on to our On the Scene this week. If you're not familiar with what our On the Scene is, it is where listeners go out in public an interview of anyone, any random individual about current conspiracy happenings around the world. Anyone can do it, including you. Yes, the listener, you can do it as well. Just go outside, get your phone, do the interview, record it on your phone, make sure it's less than two minutes, and send it to our emails, and we will put you in line to be played. And we do have a queue. So once you send yours in, it will be added to the bottom of the list and it'll eventually make its way up. All right. So this week's On the Scene is from Carolyn, and we will play that right now. 
hey, Carolyn on the scene here. What are your thoughts on Astroworld? Well, I gotta say, I don't really give it too much energy. But I've seen a lot of things on TikTok about it. Some very interesting clips. But for me, I think it's a lot of just people living for themselves and not thinking of others. A lot of just selfishness. I know that there was a very interesting clip of a spirit going into maybe Travis Scott or, you know, could have been something falling in a shadow. I'm not sure. It was a little suspect. And I do have a strong feeling of celebrities selling their souls to, you know, the evils. But I think overall it was just a showing of how much we've stopped caring about each other because... It doesn't take much to pick someone up off the ground, and this world is just becoming very selfish. So I think it should be a reminder to remember that the person next to you is also human and to treat them that way. Thank you so much for your valued opinion. You know, uh, your voice it sounds really, really familiar. Mm. Have I heard it somewhere before? I do hear that a lot. I can't really figure out where or who they're con- comparing me to. But I appreciate your time. It's been fun. Thank you for asking me about Astro World. Let me be a part of the trend. <laughs> but you have yourself a wonderful day. And remember, you're not alone. She does sound very familiar. Oh, yeah. Almost like Anna. Yeah. <laughs> that was her. That's, That's her. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. It's always great getting on the scene and then, you know, hearing it and it being people you know. Oh, so yeah. shout out to Anna and Carolyn. Shout out. Check them out. Um, I think you can find Anna still in Wisdom in Wonderland, maybe. is her... I believe so. Let me check. Wisdom in Wonderland. Yeah, you just go to wisdominwonderland.com and you can see Anna. Or Annie. Her name's Annie. Annie. Sorry, my bad. Get him, Annie. And you can go get a a reading from her and see all of her projects and stuff and all that and see what she's up to and go talk to her on TikTok. Follow her on Instagram and all that good stuff. Go say hi. You know? But thank you for the on the scene this week. Yeah. Miss you. Miss you. Love you. All right. Um, so what do we got next? All right. So let's move on to shout outs. All right, so I'm going to start off the shout-outs this week on Instagram. You know who just messaged me back on Instagram? Who? The person I tried getting a hold of about the Astral World thing. No. <laughs> yes, the one who went... Okay, so for all of you who don't know what I'm talking about, on Patreon we did, we did the Astral World um, episode. And in it, I found some very interesting footage of, like, the Houston City Commission and... This woman goes up to them and starts like drilling them with questions, very specific, odd questions. I ended up finding that woman because I wanted to interview her for the show and uh, she didn't message me back. Well, she just messaged me back and said that it was her that. Yep, that's me. Damn it. Oh, maybe we can interview her later. Yeah. All right. So I want to shout out Darren. I want to shout out McKenna. I want to shout out the Thrifty Snack. I want to shout out Timothy, Miguel, Bianca, Tanya, Madame Amanita, Adam, Bryn Bryn, Brandy, Sierra, 
Let's see. Who else? Dakota. J.D. Wisonowski. Pretty sure I pronounced your uh, name wrong, but shout out to you. Heather Boostboom. She sent us a message and said, Hey, Aaron and Daniel, I'd love to hear a segment on the podcast about how you two know each other. You seem like longtime friends. I know you kind of want to be mysterious, but I think the audience would enjoy it. You want to tell the story, Dan? I mean, we've told it before, but you can tell it. We, we are longtime friends. We've been friends, what, 14 years? 14 years plus. I honestly can't remember the date exactly. So how we met is not the usual way. We, I can't remember how old I was. But we met on the video game Diablo 2. I actually was friends with Aaron's cousin on there. And it's a funny story is that Aaron actually logged on to his cousin's account while I was playing and I was trying to get a hold of his cousin. He's like, oh, no, you know, cousin Aaron, I'm just on his account playing. And literally, I'm just like, oh, shoot, what's like, what's up then? Like, let's play. Yeah. So honestly, we just like we met on there and literally like we just started playing d2 together and it just from then on it's just literally any game that we played we played together on with him and his cousin yeah and we ended up uh exchanging my spaces yep then uh, and then we became best friends there was a time though that they did we i ended up skyping with aaron and his sister because they wanted to make sure i was actual real person i remember that yeah i didn't <laughs> think you were a real person i thought you were ai like everybody else thinks <laughs> I remember that one time you came down to visit and my grandma was there and she had a, like a flip phone, like an old, old 2004 flip phone. And you were standing there and she walked right up to you, had her flip phone out, took a picture of your face and turned back around and walked. I'm like, what the hell, granny? She didn't say a single word. I come downstairs, walking in the kitchen and she just gets up out of her chair, pulls this flip phone out, puts it in my face, takes a picture, turns around and goes and sits back down. <laughs> And I'm just saying, like, okay. She doesn't give a shit, man. Granny doesn't care. It was funny. Weird, but funny. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's the story of how we met. There we go. All right. So let's continue on with shout outs. I got a few more. Brandon, Mike, Luke, Delgado, Jace, Kevin, Chris, Tim. Cody, Victoria Verduzco, sorry, I pronounced your name wrong, Norman, Joey, and Joshua. That's on the Theories of the Third Kind Instagram. And then for my personal Instagram, shout out to Aaron, Erica, Raven, let's see, Jordy, JD, Brian, Cody, Yarold, DeAndre, Jess, Nate, and Adrian. I love you all. Thank you for all the love and support. And that is the end of my shout outs. So who do you got for this week, Dan, for shout outs? All right. For Facebook, I have Jay Kidd, Toby S, Jonathan S, Melinda F, Dakota D, Jacob H, which he sent a message saying that uh, he's not a listener to the show, but a friend of his is. They said for him to contact us to talk about his experience with 
I guess it's a spirit, a native spirit called Deer Woman, which I'll get in contact with him about it. What the hell? Deer Woman? Yeah, I looked it up. It's like a native, Native American spirit for like fertility and love or something like that, from what it looked like it said. Okay. So it was interesting. So I'll get in contact with him, see what he says about that. Then uh, Dustin G and his son Hudson, they uh, listened to the show together and they talked about uh, an, wanting an episode about the Yowie which is like the Australian Bigfoot, I believe it is. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've gotten a few me- messages about the Yowie. Yep. Then uh, Corey S. Then uh, a Spencer W. He asked if we were going to do an episode on the Catholic Church, not about the pedophilia or anything like that, but the secret library and shit like that. Okay. But yeah. Then uh, the last one from Facebook is Bobby C., which... He wants to know what type of tattoo he should get for us. What type of tattoo? Yeah, he sent a couple uh, images. All right, well, let's see him. You got him on you? Yep, give me one sec. I'm going to share my screen with you. This is easier than downloading each photo and showing. I'll just share the screen and you can see. Let's see these photos. Are these art pieces that he wants to get? Think about getting a theories of, thir- theories of third kind tattoo. Got any ideas that would make a good one? And he sent stuff like this. I need some space. Okay. Oh, I like that one. That little Grim Reaper flying in the UFO. Okay. Oh, Santa Claus alien. (laughs) 37th parallel. I like that one. Yes. I don't know if those are ones he already has, but I guess it's something like that. Okay. You know what? I don't really like telling people what tattoos to get because I feel like that's the thing that should be chosen by the person that's getting it done. You need to be happy with that tattoo. If you like it, if you like that art piece and it moves you and you want to get it, by all means, get it. But, I mean, just don't get it because, you know, we say to get it. Yeah. That's something that's going to be on you for the rest of your life. Yeah. But it is cool that you asked us. Thank you. For sure. Then um, then that's it for Facebook. And then I got two just from emails, a Daniel G and a Jonathan S. And that would be it for shoutouts for the week for me. All right, so that kind of takes us to free talk, I guess. All right, so how was your weekend? Was it good? It was good, and you actually just reminded me. I have one more shout-out, but I have to show you. Show me. I shouted him out on Discord. Okay. Hunter McD. He kept saying that he had something to send me. Yeah, I just had to wait for it to get done, and he finally sent it to me. Oh, damn. Custom disc off. Glows in the dark, and it has the... There's a third kind emblem on it. Dude, it's badass. So it's a custom disc golf frisbee. I, do they even call that a frisbee? I don't know. They call it a disc golf. I mean, it is kind of like a frisbee, but it's... Disc golf? It's like specific for disc golf? I've never played disc golf before, so... Oh, it's so much fun. I might have to try it out one day with you. Of course. It'd be fun. I'll be like that one TikTok video where I end up throwing it into the freaking highway. Have you seen that one? No, but... The first, the first time I played, my buddies took me to this big park and it was crowded. Let's just say when I threw the disc, it definitely didn't go the way I wanted to since I'm still learning. And it almost hit a lady. Oh, Jesus. And only thing I could do was just laugh because I yelled heads up. And of course, she's down there doing a little power walk, not paying attention to anybody. Mm. Almost hit her. She turned around, gave me a mean look. And I'm just like, what do you want me to do? That reminds me. Do you know those um, 
that discus in track and field that you throw, you grip it with your hands like this and you throw it. Yeah, I used to do it in middle school. Yeah, so those things are pretty solid, right? Yes, they are. At a track meet when I was in high school, I witnessed a girl walk across the discus field. No. Not even paying attention and get smoked right in the fucking head with one of those things. Oh my God. Yeah, it was bad. Ambulance came. Is she alive? Yeah, she's alive. Ambulance came though, picked her up. It was horrible. Ooh, yeah, those things. I was over there. I was like, oh my God. And she had a big old gash in her forehead. And I went over there and I stuck my finger in it to stop the blood from coming out. Okay, I didn't do that. But I was just like, oh my God, that's a big hole. You should probably see a doctor. I could imagine. Those things are pretty heavy and solid. I mean, you don't want to be in the way of one of those. That's for sure. Yeah, it'd be horrible. Ooh. You've been playing any uh, new video games here recently? Honestly, I haven't played any games in a while. I mean, last week played some, uh, what was it? I tried Phasmophobia on VR. Oh, Jesus. Isn't that like, um, like Among Us kind of, but it's a first person and more scary? It's pretty much your, uh, you play uh, ghost investigators. You have to go in the house and like you have to solve what type of ghost that you're trying to deal with. And let's just say that it scared the shit out of me because we jumped in with a guy that already knew how to play the game. So we had no idea what was going on. And supposedly the ghost does a hunt where it locks the doors and stuff. To where if you're stuck inside the house, you can't get out. You have to hide. And all I hear is this guy laughing. He's just like, good luck, guys. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I, like, run and, like, jump in this, like, closet. And, like, you get to hear the footsteps of the ghost outside of the closet. And it'll make some noise. And then it'll go quiet. Then all of a sudden, the closet door is just swung open. I literally thought it was, like, after me. I, like, put my hands up and everything. I'm just like, oh, God, I'm about to die. See, I can't play a game like that. I, I, I get too scared. I, I couldn't do it. It was, it was very thrilling. It was fun, though, but very thrilling. I'm going to have to check it out. Not on VR, but just regular. Yeah, you could play it normally. Yeah, because I get, I get motion sickness really easily. So I can only play like a VR game for, I don't know, two or three minutes. And then I get real motion sick. And then I'm ruined for the rest of the day. Yeah, we found out that uh, like I can't play um, with like the regular walking. I have to do the, like the little teleporting. And then like the kind of quick turns. Yeah, I can't do the normal walking where I get motion sickness from it. Okay. Let's see. I did start playing a new card game. That was actually pretty fun. Uh, it's kind of like Hearthstone, kind of. I started playing Clash Royale again. Mm. And then Anemia, Anemia, A-N-I-M-A. It's like a Diablo 2 type game, just oh. like Diablo 2, but on the phone. It's actually really cool. But the card game queue is, is pretty fun. I've been playing that. You got me on that. I've been playing that every now and then. Yeah. Oh, man, it's fun. I got to add you as a friend on there so we can face each other. I'm pretty good. Just saying. Ugh, dude, you're going to have to wait and see. I haven't lost the match yet. <laughs> I haven't lost one yet either. We can go to battle or we can team up. Ooh. It's up to you. Speaking of card games, you know Jordan, right? Our friend. Oh, our buddy Jordan. Yeah. You know, he's got like a card game. He's like creating a card game. Really? Yeah, he sent me a text the other day and said he was creating, like, um, some card game. I think it's called Gideon's Gambit or something. Hold on, let me look it up. It's kind of like Magic the Gathering, but I think it's for, like, kids. Gideon's Gambit. G-I-D-E-O-N-S-G-A-M-B-I-T. And then I think he has a Patreon for it. Yeah, he does. It's the very first Patreon. 
Gideon's Gambit TCG trading card game. And he actually sent me some pictures of some of the cards he made. Pretty damn good. I have to admit. I'm like, wow. I think he actually made a card uh, of you in here. He has a he has a wizard in here that he made. At- oh, he used the story that we were talking about way back. Yeah. So the wizard or whatever, he named him after me. And then some like barbarian he named after you. He like named certain characters after his friends, which I thought was really cool. That's awesome. I got to check that out. Yeah. I'm going to go support his Patreon. Gideon's Gambit TCG. I think you mentioned this before with me, but me being lost on Facebook. Yeah. People know I'm not that good with Facebook. I apologize. Yeah, I don't even have a Facebook. I think I still have unread messages on my personal one that I don't like really use at all. It's probably some of the listeners. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, we found <laughs> you. All right. Well, do you got anything else you want to add to today's episode or anything else you want to talk about in free talk before we roll it out? Uh, other than the fact, thank you, Aaron, for my painting of Majin Vegeta. Oh. That thing is boss. As you can tell, it's sitting behind me now. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for the um, little meditating alien. Dude, that's just I the love start it. of your collection. <laughs> We're going to get you so many more. Nice. I'm going to have a whole alien army. That's right. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, do you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.